I'm pretty positive that's Stellan Skarsgård. He looks so unrecognizable, but like the voice though was coming through. I was like, ooh, that's Skarsgård right there. Oh yeah, it is Daddy Skarsgård um, <laughs> <laughs> of the Skarsgård clan. The clan. <laughs> it might as well be a clan. Right, the brilliant house of Skarsgård. The brilliant house of Skarsgård. <laughs> of Caladan. Welcome to the Art of Costume Blogcast. I'm Elizabeth Joy Glass. And I am Lord Spencer of the House Williams. You almost tricked me into calling you a lord. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? Like, there's a lot of lords in this episode. I was not going to miss out on the lord fun. I should I should have seen that coming. I should have seen that coming. <laughs> How are you, Spencer? I'm good. How are you, Elizabeth? I am dandy. I am just as dandy. Good. I've, like, been able to watch quite a few things that, like, aren't podcast-related recently, and it's been really nice. Oh. Oh, that's nice. What have you been watching? I finally got around to Midnight Mass, which, really good. It was kind of weird at first, and then I was like, oh, vampires. (laughs) I was like, okay, I get it. It always goes back to vampires with us. (laughs) It always goes back to vampires. How could it not? I'm still on my naked and afraid binge. I'm almost done with all the seasons on Hulu. But like, I'm starting to get frustrated with myself because that means everything else is building up. For example, I have like half a season of American Horror Story. American Crime Story Impeachment. I feel so bad. I have not seen it. Did that start? I think it's ended. Really? Yes. <laughs> We're too focused on vampires and spooky things that we're neglecting all of our other, you know, shows. Wow. That went straight over my head this year. Right. Oh, well, speaking of lots of dedication. Lots of dedication. My, my, we dedicated our weekend to Dune. Oh, man. Speaking of dedication, I mean, the people who created that movie, that's dedication. That was a massive project. And it's not even done. I know. So, clearly, this week we watched Dune. (laughs) Did not realize till the day I went to go see it that this was only part one. I didn't realize either. When it said part one as soon as it started, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, makes sense considering the book but i was like oh it's such a long movie like mate but it's like it's a big like it's a, it's a big book that spans like multiple years so i'm like okay that makes sense that it's a long movie and then when it was i was i watched it first on hbo max and i'm watching i'm watching and i'm like i'm getting to the end of it and i'm like we're not even halfway through the book. <laughs> like, <Right>. <laughs> I think <laughs> I saw on Twitter something like Zendaya is only in like seven minutes of the movie. I know. I was like, where's Chaney? And I'm like, wow, marketing genius. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, gosh. It was, you know what? Give us a summary so we can really just talk about this. Oh, Right. I have been dying to talk about this with you ever since I saw it in theaters. And we just keep telling each other, like, we cannot talk to each other until the podcast. Until, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here's a summary. And forgive me if I mess up some of these words. You know, this is one of those movies where it's a lot of names, a lot of words, but we're going to get through it. Okay. 
Dune. Paul Atreides, a young man born into a great destiny beyond his understanding, must travel to the most dangerous planet in the universe, Arrakis, to ensure the future of his family and his people. The noble house Atreides is entrusted with the protection of the most valuable asset and most vital element in the galaxy, known as the Spice. As malevolent forces explode into conflict over the planet's exclusive supply of the most precious resource in existence, only those who can conquer their own fear will survive. Paul and his mother, Jessica, <laughs> Jessica, are forced to search the deep desert and meet the Fremen? Yeah, why aren't you calling it Melange, the spice? <laughs> Yes, come on. <laughs> You're just like the most precious resource in existence. <laughs> the melange. <laughs> Paul and his mother Jessica are forced to search. <laughs> now you messed me up. They're searching the deep desert to find Zendaya, <laughs> the Fremen, the planet's, the planet's native population, in order to join forces and defend against evading Harkonnens. And the Emperor's military forces. Ooh, that was a big one. <laughs> <laughs> that that was a summary. Um, if you have not seen Dune and you care about spoilers, absolutely do not listen to this episode before watching it. There's going to be movie spoilers and book spoilers, and there's just no way of getting around it. So hop on HBO Max, get yourself to a movie theater, and then come back. <laughs> Right. To follow up what Elizabeth said, though, I cannot recommend going to the theaters and seeing this movie enough. It is oh, yeah. absolutely brilliant, stunning. The music, the score by Hans Zimmer is like transcendent. I actually felt like I teared up a couple times just because it's so immersive. It's it's great. It really is. Like like I said, I watched it on HBO Max first um, just because there's <laughs> there was no way to see this in the theater and then watch it again to do my notes. So I'm like, I'm just gonna have to hop on my computer and watch it. Right. We sacrifice a lot of things for this podcast for you all. <laughs> we do. But so I, I watched I watched it on my laptop first. And then when I went to go see it in theaters, I felt like I was watching it for the first time again. Like it Right. It's great on, you know, HBO Max. Like if you have if you have a big screen TV, that's really nice. Like you're gonna have a great time. But really if you have the opportunity, if you feel comfortable, go watch it in the theater. Amen. I couldn't agree more. <sighs> Spencer, thoughts, feelings. I think I feel that it's time for you to bring us behind the wardrobe and let's start digging into all this great stuff. It is definitely time for me to bring you behind the wardrobe. And Dune is a crazy, expansive universe. <laughs> so I think to understand the costume, we have to go back to the beginning. I'm just going to give you a short little overview of Dune and its impact on just sci-fi in general. So, <laughs> oh man, that's about to be one of those behind the wardrobe facts. It's about to be one of those behind the wardrobe facts. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, Dune written by Frank Herbert was originally published in 1965. What? Its success sp spawned five direct sequels and a fictional universe that created over 30 books. Oh my gosh, this gives me hope. It's yes. So 
they've hit on just like a jackpot of story if they really want to like go all the way with Dune. When it was published, it was really ahead of its time with its commentary on the effects of social and religious structures, which really allows it to continue to resonate with people today. And it became one of the greatest influences on storytelling and sci-fi through, you know, the late 20th century and today. Star Wars, Star Trek, the list goes on and on. Like, they all drew from Dune. So I found a really great interview with Frank Herbert from the 80s, shortly before his death. Um, He said he wanted to create a messiah story and a mythology of how we give ourselves over to leaders and how dangerous the surrender of ourselves can be in the hands of unstable, sick leaders. Definitely, this is a timeless story. It definitely resonates today and will continue to resonate for probably hundreds of years unless we somehow achieve world peace. Like, <laughs> it's going to continue to be relevant. Now, despite its pretty much immediate Success, it took years for Dune to be adapted with many productions, including one that would be directed by Alejandro Jervosky, whose pre production story was chronicled in the 2013 documentary Jervosky's Dune. But every single one of these product- productions ultimately fell through. Um, in 1984, the first Dune adaptation was released with director David Lynch at the helm. However, it was trashed by critics and bombed. It did not even make its budget back. <laughs> oh, wow. It was really a a failure. Uh, David Lynch, an amazing director and writer, he regrets making it. That is... Really? That is how bad it went. And... Because of that, a lot of people were like, this just isn't something that can be adapted as a movie. That was the feeling a lot of people had because it it was poised to be the next Star Wars. They had signed um, the lead actor on who played Paul in those movies. Before it was released, he signed a contract for four more movies. So it was really like an unprecedented failure (laughs) oh my goodness that's crazy it's just like one of those things it's like sometimes a book just cannot be a movie it's just too good exactly sometimes it takes a while however this didn't kill the dune franchise in the slightest it continued to grow in popularity books continued to be released and then in the early 2000s, the Sci-Fi Channel put out two miniseries based on the first two books, uh, Dune in 2000, and then Children of Dune in 2003. Frank Herbert died in 1986. However, his son, Brian Herbert, and writer uh, Kevin J. Anderson continue to expand the Dune universe today using his father's notes, Silmarillion style, uh, with the latest book in the Dune universe, Lady of Caladan, being released last month. Wow. This, I did not know this. That makes me excited. That means I was like almost kind of sad watching Dune. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I can't believe they're only doing one more part to this, but this could go on forever. No, it is probably the most expansive like sci-fi universe. And people, like, are obsessed with this. 
even at the time that interview with um, Herbert that I saw, he was like, people keep trying to call me a cult leader. (laughs) That's how into these books people get. That's crazy. It just is such a human story underneath all the sci-fi that it's going to continue to resonate with people, including to this year. So we're going behind the wardrobe. The Dune wardrobe was brought to us by director Denis Villeneuve, costume designer Jacqueline West, and for the first time on the Art of Costume blogcast, we have a co-costume designer, Bob Morgan. Bob, 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 Bob. Bob, Bob. (laughs) He looks like a cool guy. I'm like, oh, hello, sir. Um, But Jacqueline, she was really the one to head up the wardrobe department. You will know her from Quills, The New World, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, Water for Elephants, Argo, and The Revenant. She has been nominated for three Academy Awards for Quills, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, and The Revenant. And... When she realized just how expansive and involved Dune was going to be, she reached out to Bob Morgan because they had worked together in the past. They're good friends. And she was like, I need help on this. (laughs) And he became her co-costume designer. Um, Bob Morgan, he really doesn't have any um, costume design credits to his name. He had one other credit and then he's in production with something right now. But he is a very successful costume supervisor. And to those who do not know what a costume supervisor is, um, the production-based UK website gives a great description, which I will read to you now. Nice. The costume supervisor represents the costume designer on set. While the costume designers are usually present on set each time a new costume is worn, it is invariably the costume supervisor who is responsible for overseeing the wear of pieces. This includes ensuring all costumes are ready for filming on each day and that the pieces are maintained for continuity purposes. Costume supervisors further delegate to costume dressers to ensure design integrity is maintained. So they they really just make sure everything goes smoothly. And that was incredibly important on this Uh, Because in an interview with Variety, Bob Morgan, he talks about when they first got together on this and they realized they would need to make 300 specialty costumes. And then they realized like, oh, there are three armies and there are three different worlds and three different looks and tons of background extras. And he says... I would say hundreds and hundreds of costumes, boarding, bordering on probably a thousand. Eesh, that's a lot. I mean, you could tell, though, just watching this movie is like, oh, man, this one was a hard one. Oh, yeah. So just an insane, insane amount of costumes, which, you know, necessity. Gotta get yourself a co-costume designer to make sure everything goes smoothly. Oh, my gosh. So... This dream team really created something beautiful, though. Wes said, you know, the book, it has everything. Mysticism, ecology, politics, religion, philosophy, history, evolution, poetry. Very complex story. And the director, he didn't really want to make it all about the spaceships. Uh, In an interview with Variety, Wes says, 
he didn't want to make a film about spaceships, you know, with a look of what you see in so many sci-fi movies and video games. He wanted to make a futuristic medieval movie. Ooh, I love that. Which I think they totally did. I got very strong medieval vibes from this. Um, For research, a couple films she took inspiration from were... Dr. Savago, 1965, Lawrence of Arabia, 1962, and Fahrenheit 541 in 1966. Kind of like seeing going back and being like, okay, like, what did movies look like when the book was released? And when, when you look at stills from the movies, you really see like the essence of where she got her inspiration. Right. I see the Fahrenheit 451 reference for sure. That's a great movie. Yeah. And with that, she went about creating Dune. (laughs) Just a little tiny movie called Dune. It was no big. (laughs) No biggie. (laughs) Uh, uh, Elizabeth, this movie was so great. We have so much to break down. So I think we need to take a little break. Maybe get out our sand compactors. Make a little tent. Grab our inhalers and get ready for the next part of this episode. Everybody grab some water. And sit in for a ride. (laughs) Water or like sweat or tears that we could just recycle and continuously drink. Yeah, grab a still suit. You have one lying around. I know you do. (laughs) We'll be right back. Are you ready to get your feet wet on the House Atreides homeworld of Caladan? I do. Caladan looks like a nice place, you know? This isn't like, you know, like Crimson Peak. We're like, hey, come to Crimson Peak. It's really nice. And you get there and it's crap. Like, no, Caladan's nice. I, why leave this place? Caladan is beautiful. As I said, it's the home of House Atreides. However, the Galactic Emperor has just given them stewardship of the planet Arrakis, which is where the spice known as melange is harvested that will expand the minds and sustain the lives of everybody it comes in contact with. So they have been given quite the gift. It is like an insane source of revenue for anybody who has stewardship of that planet. However, Nobody in House Atreides is terribly happy about this. No, because Arrakis kind of sucks. Arrakis kind of <laughs> sucks. It's it's a desert planet. The Harkonnen who have had stewardship of it are pissed about losing it. The Atreides are pissed about taking it over. And everybody is very wary about exactly why this has gone down. But, you know, they're going to receive it in style. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. This is one of my favorite scenes in entire movies. It it's great. I so I very much got like Lord of the Rings vibes from this. I don't know about you. Right. So when you know, before the break you're talking about how there was like a pretty big medieval inspiration in this movie, and that's all I kept thinking about. I was like, Yes, this movie is futuristic, but it has such medieval vibes because I kept thinking of like I mean, I know Game of Thrones is pretty 
a basic like comparison, but I was thinking of like those first episodes of Game of Thrones with like the Lannisters coming to speak to the Starks. You have the Stark family, which is basically House Atreides. They're all like good people who just like want to do good. I just that's what I kept thinking like comparison wise. And I did get some Lord of the Rings vibes as well too. Yeah. Especially with uh, Lady Jessica. I was like, you can put her in Rivendell and she'll she'll fit right in. <laughs> oh, exactly. I was like, is that Kate Blanchett as Galadriel? <laughs> um, but the, it's very regal. And that is the world in which the young Paul Atreides, son of Duke Leto Atreides, and Lady Jessica, this regal world is where he comes from. You know, Caladan is lush, full of water and greenery. And so they really wanted to reflect that in the costumes. Bob Morgan tells Entertainment Weekly, they looked at paintings of the Romanovs, the richness of the era of Russian czars, and that helped build this very rich, dense world. The director loved it, loved the direction we took because we set it so far from Arrakis. So they're starting just nowhere near a desert climate right it's it couldn't be more different actually (laughs) (laughs) it could not be more different like dark military dress all covered up um i do love um duke leto played by oscar isaac he looks so good in this scene oh man oscar isaac man with his beard and the the epaulets. I didn't know that Oscar was like a main character in this movie. I just thought this was going to be all Timothy Chalamet and all Zendaya. And like, I could not have been more wrong. This, every character was given like their own moments to shine. Doesn't mean they're going to make it all the way to the end, but each character had like their moment. Each character definitely had their moment. And I, I like the way they played Duke Leto in this. They really like gave him like so much importance made you fall in love with him so like when he dies it's like ah no right he's the ned stark i'm telling you that's what i was saying you see it now hey yeah (laughs) absolutely um but then we also have lady jessica the consort of duke leto and mother of paul um, she was very much inspired by, like, Balenciaga, but with a, they wanted a medieval quality. Um, and they kind of wanted her kind of, like, nun-like and subdued before she goes to Arrakis. Right. Ooh, her costumes were beautiful in this movie. And that very first one she wears, that's, like, that pale blue. That's one of my favorite costumes from the film. It's just so beautiful. It's beautiful. Lady Jessica, even in in the book, she's like, definitely like, she's a trendsetter. She's like, she always looks beautiful. (laughs) Like, they did that part well. Oh, man. Um, Can we just take a moment to just talk about the names in this movie? (laughs) I love how everyone is so complicated. There's some characters in this movie that I'm probably not even going to talk about just because I don't want to butcher their name. And then we have... Fear Howitt? There you go. Gurney Halleck? (laughs) I mean, the Baron has like 200 names. And then we have Paul and Jessica. My, my. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably the only simple names in this entire series. 
Right. And oh, and then don't forget Duncan Idaho. That sounds like we just like Ricky Bobby, you know, but <laughs> anyways, I digress. Still all brilliant characters. I just thought it was so funny. I was like, Paul, Jessica. Yeah. Like, <laughs> what year is it? <laughs> no, the book is very much like that though, where it's it's like so strange and futuristic, like a big part of the the book because it's it's set about like eight thousand years in the future and at some point between now and then there was like a war between humans and artificial intelligence oh my worst fear i yeah don't you get me started yeah in this <laughs> in this story it's the like the humans won okay however they it enacted a law that there cannot be any artificial intelligence good no machine can think like a human which is why you have like the benny jesuits and um through fear how it is something called a mentac which it's like they've trained their minds to almost act like computers the way we think of computers wow so that's crazy it's like it's like all this like wild like i'm obsessed with this i need to dive into this world i as you all probably already know i have not read a book but like i'm really you know gearing up for it now at this point oh it's great but it's like it's because of that it's like okay they have this like they're wildly advanced but because they don't have technology doing it they've like socially kind of like digressed into this medieval (laughs) world (laughs) of emperors and dukes and it's like insane yeah. One movie you will never hear on the Art of Costume broadcast is iRobot. I, no. I do not do well with artificial intelligence. Terminator? Maybe. iRobot with Will Smith? Absolutely not. But this leads us into one of my favorite scenes in the entire film was when um, the Herald of Change shows up. And he brings like the world's coolest entourage. We just watched Fifth Element, and I was like, "Oh, this scene's so cool with the diva and her little entourage." Right. This happens. I was like, "Okay, this is way cool." <laughs> they all, every single costume you look at is different, and it's cool. It's different. It's cool. I, I love the Herald of the Change. He almost looks like a priest. Right. <laughs> in his like white, his stark white robe with the red and gold stall. Like, oh man. We could do a podcast about each different character in this movie. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's insane. His whole entourage with the space helmets and just like black and white. They know what looks good. <laughs> I'm obsessed with all the characters in the veils. I just love a brilliant veil over, like, just covering. Oh, it's so good. Oh, the, the, those are the sisters of the Benny Jesuit, which are this this weird, like, priestesshood. Um, but not really the way we think of priestesses. It's like they're given as, like, babies to the Benny Jesuits to learn all these, like, these mind skills. Like, they can control, like, every part of their body they can like control other people they can literally decide if and when they get pregnant and if they have like a boy or a girl like they have complete and utter control of themselves and other people but they they're running this like weird breeding project (laughs) to bring about the (laughs) to bring Bring about about the paul the the he's a hatterack or whatever they call him Oh, man. But, um, yeah, I think someone needs to talk with George R.R. R. Martin 
Because this is starting to feel a little bit like Melisandre. I'm just saying, I think George R.R. R. Martin might have been reading some Dune. Did you not hear about how it has influenced writing <laughs> <laughs> for the past, like, since 1965? Right. <laughs> but, yeah, that... The woman in the veil right next to the Herald of the Change. When I saw her in that veil, I was like, I'm going to like this movie. Yes. That is um, actress extraordinaire uh, Charlotte Rampling, who has just been in a million things over the course of her life. Yes. I cannot wait to talk about her a little bit later, but she kills this role. Absolutely murders it, actually. Yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. But before she does that, Paul is just trying to be just trying to be a kid. He's just chilling on Caladan. Yeah, kind of. He's you know, he's like trying to be a kid, but also still like he's not too mad at, at the idea of like being the Lord's son. You know, he's like, I'm okay with it. He probably doesn't really enjoy it, but he's fine with it. Yeah, he's fine with it. He likes learning how to use a sword. And I I love his casual wear because it is super casual. But also, like, it just has all these, like, tiny little, like, pleated details, especially in the pants. I'm like, wow. Right. That's a lot of work for just your loungewear. That's the most sophisticated pajamas I've ever seen in my life. Right? (laughs) Right. And I I love, I was so curious how they were going to do, like, the shields in this. And then that just, like, the blue and the red. I was like, oh, yes. That was so cool. I was I was wondering. I always have this thing when people, like, train in movies, like, especially medieval movies, they're, like, swinging swords at each other. I'm like, aren't you going to kill each other? And then when <laughs> when Thanos hit his shield, I was like, whoop. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> You're like, oh, hello. <laughs> A.K.A. Josh Brolin. Yes. But to me, all I could see and hear is Thanos now. <laughs> yes, Josh Brolin. I was surprised he did not have a bigger role in this. Um, he probably will in the next movie. Um, but yeah, so Lady Jessica, <laughs> she's just not winning world's best mother especially when um <laughs> she puts paul in the room with the benny jesuit mother to test paul Ooh, yeah this scene i was feeling a little sweaty not gonna lie i was sitting by myself in the theaters i was wiping the sweat off my forehead <laughs> i know i was like this is just like such a tense part of the book and just like the way they did it and with that veil, that veil of beads over her face, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just the creepiest. That is my favorite costume of the entire film. I'm just going to say it right now. Like that, when I saw her just sitting there, she's holding the needle and you can like barely see her face. It's just like, oh God, it's so good. I That's probably one of my favorite costumes we've seen on this podcast so far. Oh, definitely. Her, her robes that are just so intricate. The headdress, like, ooh, it's like, yeah, you're a creepy nun-like woman. <laughs> yeah, th- I mean, Jacqueline West and Bob Morgan did not have to slap this hard with this costume. It was so good. <laughs> I literally gasped in the theaters. <laughs> I had no problem with her getting ready to kill Timothy Chalamet. I was just looking at her costume. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, put this, ha- put your hand in this box, and I may or may not murder you. <laughs> 
If you move, I'm going to poke you with this very dangerous stick, and you are going to die. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, that was wild. She looked so good. Jessica looked good. Je- I, I, had, I had issues with Jessica <laughs> in this movie. Oh, really? Yes. In, in my opinion, because my brother, he was fine with it. We both read the book, so I don't know how he was fine with it, though. <laughs> But they made Jessica, like, very weepy in this movie. Like, don't get me wrong. Rebecca Ferguson, she did a great job. Like, she's an amazing actress. I had no problem with her. I felt like it was strange that they took her in a very, like, weepy mother direction. They kind of made it seem like the Benny Jesuit kind of, like, forced her to do things. But she's very much like she wants paul to be the he's cataract she like has been training him to like have all these crazy like mind skills like and yet like i don't remember in the book her like being outside the door like crying like she wants him to put his hand in the box so like i didn't understand she's such a badass in the book and i was just like this it didn't make sense (laughs) I get what you're saying. Even when I was watching it, I was kind of confused. I was like, she's like either hella strong or she's like kind of in a moment of weakness. She kind of like fluctuates throughout the movie. It's either like, oh, she's getting ready to kill everyone in this plane right now. Or she's like, she doesn't know what to do, but she knows what to do. It was a little hard to understand, but I get what you're saying. I still think, like you said, though, Rebecca Ferguson did a great job. It was more like the direction of her character as a whole. That, that, yeah, that was one of the weird things that I was just kind of like, because I really liked this movie, but there were some things I was just like, I don't understand why you decided to do that, but whatever. It at least looks amazing. <laughs> right. Uh, and But then we had to watch the Reverend Mother walk away with, like, all of her people. They're all wearing the veils. Yes. I was like, please don't go. I love those costumes. <laughs> please come back. I know. <laughs> If, if they make more movies, we'll definitely get more of the Benny Jesuits. The Benny Jesuits are so interesting. Like, Oh, my gosh. I need I need a new obsession, okay? Game of Thrones is kind of over for me right now. I mean, it's never over. But, like, I need a universe to, like, start immersing myself into again. <laughs> uh, you can get into this. Yeah. Like, they're so wild. Like, they literally sell themselves to, like, a man. And Duke Leto's father literally went and, like, purchased Jessica for him. Oh. <laughs> like, mm. <laughs> when I say, it, like, it's a, like, futuristic, like, medieval story. Sounds like slavery, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <sighs> Poor Paul. He looks so sad in his, his outfits, but... He wears the Atreide uniform quite well. Oh, uh, yeah. He, I mean, Timothy Chalamet, come on. I mean, he just wears a suit or a coat, like, so well. He His military jacket coat was, like, so nice, his uniform. But then when he was, like, when they're getting ready to go to Arrakis and he's wearing that all-black outfit, he's, like, in the, I don't know, like, coastal area. Oh, he's when he's walking on the beach? Yeah, that jacket... Oh my gosh, that looks so good on him. So, so good. So amazing. Yeah, I like, they did a good job 
casting his character as just kind of this because he's like 15 16 in the book and he's just kind of like okay i guess i'm gonna go do this now (laughs) (laughs) yeah he really goes through a rough journey i'm just gonna say i need to get this out of the way now (laughs) the country is suffering from what i like to diagnose a terrible case of Bieberism with Timothy Chalamet because I see all the time in the news articles. <laughs> Elizabeth can't even stand it. I am so tired of people hating on Timothy Chalamet. The reason why people love to hate on Timothy Chalamet is because he is beautiful and he is a pretty good at what he does. I think he's a great actor. Maybe not everything he acts in is great, but for the most part, he's a great actor. His fashion's there. Everyone loves him or hates him. It's just like Justin Bieber when he came out on a scene. Remember, everyone in high school was like, oh, that guy, that Justin Bieber kid, so annoying. Yeah. Or you were obsessed with him. I think Timothy Chalamet and this country are suffering from Bieberism. (laughs) I absolutely agree. Can you hear my cat? (laughs) Your cat sounds like it's being murdered right now. Darwin. (laughs) Not during my Bieberism speech. Elizabeth is a special guest joining us in the studio today. <laughs> Arwen. Arwen, say hi to Spencer. Arwen, you kitty. She's so mad at me. <laughs> I believe Arwen has something to say about Timothy Chalamet. I think that's what it is. <laughs> I think she wanted to contribute to the conversation. Um, rolling back, though. I absolutely agree with you. I am personally a fan of timothy chalamet like he's a good actor he looks incredible like so like sorry he's like an attractive looking person (laughs) (laughs) it's just like very fashion forward i guess like (laughs) like people hate successful people sometimes (laughs) yeah and it's like i think part of it is (laughs) justin bieber (laughs) justin bieber (laughs) justin justin bieber Got very successful, very young, because he's like our age. And I, Call Me By Your Name came out in like, like we we just started college, right? So yeah, like, it's been a couple years now, like 2013, 2014. I think it was later than that. But he he he's not been doing this acting thing for very long. No, yeah. So he's like he's young. He's still learning. Like if you don't like him, don't watch anything with him in it. Right, you haters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yes, people s- stop hating on Timothy Chalamet and we are on Arrakis. <laughs> there will be no Chalamet slander on Arrakis going forward. No, no slander. Do not try to slander Timothy Chalamet on any of our platforms. We will not abide by it. Not in my presence. Not in my presence. Nope. <laughs> what do you want now? Can you hear that? <laughs> Not the cats. We're going to have to give them credits on the (laughs) (laughs) guest star roles. (laughs) Eowyn Pippenglass. Arwen Maryglass. (laughs) I didn't know that was their middle names. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's Eowyn Pippenglass. And then Arwen Maryglass. Because originally, we were going to get boy cats. But when we showed up at the ASPCA... They were sick. And my mother was like, I am not taking home sick cats. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So? What is this episode about? What, are, what movie are we watching? <laughs> I swear we've mentioned every movie in existence. 
<sighs> okay. We are in Arrakis. <laughs> we are in Arrakis. House Atreides has landed in style. They are there. They're like, okay, let's figure this situation out. <laughs> and then somebody tries to kill Paul. Oh, just right. It, it didn't take very long for them trying to assassinate Timothy Chalamet. The haters. Like, really? No. Like, they came straight for him. <laughs> and But before that, when they come off their ships, they're looking great. Oh, man. It's like a fashion runway show for us. It is. And Denis wanted them to arrive in uniform to, in their, like, not just in uniform, but in their armor to be like, yo, we're here. Because he, uh, Bob Morgan said in Entertainment Weekly that they really wanted to create a dramatic dichotomy between, you know, the world of Caladan and, like, just the harsh, not harsh, but the, like, the watery, cold climate they come from to the still suits of Arrakis and, like, that need to survive because of the, the lack of water, the lack of nature. So they really wanted them to show up being like, yeah, we're from Kaladin. Ugh, I loved, loved the armor on Oscar Isaac and uh, Josh Brolin. Their characters look so good in that armor. Ooh, it's just, the design is just so, mm-hmm. I can't even explain it. It's just so great. It's great. It's very, like, medieval knight. Right. Like, bulky. Like, very, like, we're here for battle. Right. But still, like, also at the same time, very futuristic, too. Like, a futuristic knight. Yeah. It's just so good. And it's, like, it, it's it's very gray. It's It's very... You would think it would stand out, but it's not. It's military armor. So, when you think about where they came from, Caladan, where it's, like, you know, gray mountains water it's like oh that would hide very well in that environment right lady jessica though she is ready for arrakis oh man <laughs> when i saw her in that yellow that yellow veil i was like Whoo! man she she has a big closet lady jessica does she does she does then the Benny Gesserits really like their chains and beating. Yeah, they do. <laughs> like, the, her whole, like, face mask of, like, just chains and beads. And then just, like, a veil so long she needs three handmaids to carry it for her. Like, what are you doing? I would have gladly been one of her handmaids if I got to carry that beauty of that train. <laughs> but it also shows you, cause they don't talk about this in the movie, at least so far, maybe they'll bring it up in the second one. But uh, the reason the emperor is so afraid of house Atreides and wants the Harkonnen to murder them all is because house Atreides has become very rich, very powerful and influential with the other houses. And, there's some loose familial connection between House Atreides and the royal family. So the emperor is like extremely afraid of them taking over. And he's just like jealous of Leto's influence. So this outfit, though, you can see like, oh, yeah, they got money. They got power. Right. I feel like they I kind of got the idea. They kind of mentioned that a few different times in different ways throughout the movie. Um, yeah, this month, this out, I, I also this money, this outfit to me says money, yeah. <laughs> R- richness, <laughs> money, money. And she can afford three handmaids to carry it around. Like, right. But then also at the same time, it feels very like, I don't want to say humble, but like something about it's just very attractive about it where it's almost 
like she's not here to say like we're better than you or like we're here to like dominate this planet and like terror you all like we're we're kind-hearted we're light we're floating by we're here to like support this planet and like try to do something good here you know so i don't think she's trying to come off as like something that's evil and scary definitely she's definitely trying to be personable while house of trades is settling in the harkonnens they're just they're mad they're upset they're not happy about it and uh the baron harkonnen is talking to his nephew and being like we gotta kill duke leto yeah what a complete opposite of the trades like the trades are like oh so cool kind attractive then you see the harkonnens they're like oh these guys are the evil guys (laughs) they are definitely the evil all black just like slimy almost very gross um i will say i did like their black armor though i was i was not mad at the black armor yeah their black armor is incredible denive said in an interview with la times i love insects and i wanted the harkonnens design to be very insectoid they are invaders and colonizers so we've really focused on this idea that they were like predators Ooh. And it's like, ooh, yes, you did. <laughs> that's a good, that's a great way to put it. Wow. Yeah, and um, in an interview with LA Times, Jacqueline West tells them, um, insects have textures, so I used a lot of molded black leather with insect de- designs carved into the leathers. And it's like, that's like so brilliant. Ooh, read the rest of the quote though, because actually, that's I did kind of get this reference though. The references from scorpion were from scorpions spiders and ants both the baron and raban have this almost ant head like helmet it's so funny if you i was thinking of like a scorpion type texture when i was thinking of the harkonnens because it felt very like plated yeah and that's kind of like how i see a scorpion and Man, this is why I love costume design, Elizabeth. It's just like these like images and inspirations and research. That's just like so cool. It gave me such like insect vibes, especially a scorpion. It it looks so cool. Um, even like just like their helper, um, Priet Devers, played by David Dasmolshin. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot pronounce his name. The polka dot man. The polka dot man. David Das McLean. I'm so sorry. I completely destroyed your name. But it, like his outfit, he's just there like doing their thing. But like the leather coat with like, like the centipede like sleeves. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. He was a great character. Um, pretty evil, but it was just so funny seeing David in this like way. It was so weird. And then the Baron, played by the amazing Stellan Skarsgård. Oh my gosh. When I was watching the movie, I was like, I'm pretty positive that's Stellan Skarsgård. He looks so unrecognizable, but like the voice though was coming through. I was like, ooh, that's Skarsgård right there. Oh yeah, it is Daddy Skarsgård. Um <laughs> Of the Skarsgård clan. The clan. (laughs) It might as well be a clan. Like, four of them are actors. Right. The brilliant house of Skarsgård. The brilliant house of Skarsgård. (laughs) I think think there's like, I think there's five brothers. Four of them are actors and the other one's like a doctor. (laughs) And I'm like, 
your family just like won the career game. The scars guards are welcome on the art of costume broadcast anytime. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I I love the direction they took the Baron because uh, believe it or not, he's grosser in the book. Oh, he's like super talkative, full of himself. Um, it's Denise in an interview with LA Times, kind of describes him as like a mustache twirling villain. <laughs> very, very gross. Um, and they wanted to like reel the Baron back. They wanted to make him very scary. And I'm like, this robe he wears, like the darkness, they decided to like costume him in. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, he was terrifying. I, every time I saw him, I immediately felt... Like, almost like a discomfort when I was in the theaters. I was like, oh, man, not this guy. <laughs> he gives me really bad vibes. <laughs> yeah. You know, this is a great change. Because in, in the books, he's not scary, but he you hate him because he's just so gross. Right. Man, that costume was crazy. And I wonder how much fabric was in it when he, like, started levitating. I was oh, like, gosh. what? The- yeah. Who knows? Is he levitating or does he just have a very long body? <laughs> no, he's levitating. I forget what they call it, but like he basically like he can't move. <laughs> so he has this like this thing that like lets him move around. I see. Okay. K- kind of like Wally. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> exactly like Wally. Exactly like Wally. Another Spencer. sci-fi reference. <laughs> <laughs> Did not know how to describe that. Yes, exactly like Wally. That that is the per- perfect comparison. Believe it or not. Um, I also just want to um, take a moment and look at the Sadakar, um, which is the they're basically like the the Empire's like special forces. They're a lot like the Unsullied, taken from childhood brainwashed and raised to be these like insanely good warriors yeah they were scary too (laughs) they were scary too and i like their armor design looks a lot like the harkonnen but it's in white and red because it's like oh we're the soldiers of the empire like almost like trying to like good them up almost but they're just as evil just as evil they're soldiers of the law, but, like, also really scary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, they don't make me feel very safe. But then, back on Arrakis, it's... They're just trying to figure things out. We got, through, through Fear Howard, um, Stefan McKinney looking great, especially with his little umbrella. Oh my gosh, the umbrella was so cute. I was like, <laughs> I don't know who this guy is, but I like him. I feel safe with him. Even though he almost let Paul get murdered, but like, you know, I know. it happens. Exactly. It happens. You, you never know. <laughs> the amazing Stefan uh, McKinney Henderson played through Fear Howard, and he's a Mentac. So he's the one that's basically like a human computer. That's why his eyes like go like milky sometimes because he's like, yeah, he's like processing the data. Oh, that's what was going on. I was like... I was like, maybe he hasn't had something to eat in a while and he's feeling a little lightheaded because that's what I look like when I haven't No, ate. he's buffering. <laughs> oh, I see. Um, I loved the like simple military costume that he's wearing, though. Mm-hmm. 
It was very, it kind of, it was giving me a little bit like Star Wars vibes. Like I was thinking yes. of like the Empire, but just like in a brownish color, where it's just like very simple military uniform. And I think that was probably nice for um, Jacqueline West and Bob Morgan to be like, oh, we have our really crazy costumes. And then we have like the military uniform, which is like pretty standard, but still futuristic. But it also looks nice on everyone, too. It looks incredible because he, he's not really military, but he he is like kind of in charge of the household almost. Right. And like advising um, Duke Leto. But who is definitely part of Duke Leto's uh, military is Idaho Duncan, played by the <laughs> incomparable Jace Momoa, who is beautiful and perfect in all that he does. <laughs> But Duncan Idaho, uh, he's been off making friends with the Fremen, him and the Duke and Paul. They're all just trying to figure out what is going on with the Fremen and the spice trade. And it's just things aren't going well. But Jason Momoa looks well. <laughs> Jason Momoa, it was so cool seeing him in this role. I mean, we all love Jason Momoa. I don't know anyone who doesn't. But he just came off like such a nice guy. And like every time he saw Paul, he's like, my boy. And like yeah. run up and give him a hug. I was like, oh, I want a Momoa hug too. Like, I know. He's just like everyone's favorite guy, you know? <laughs> really? And he was perfect for this role. Like, right. he, he really is in the book. He's just like Paul's older brother. And it's like, oh, that was like, that was the vibe Jason Momoa brought to this. <laughs> But his costume, he looked, he had like three different costume changes. And, um, you yeah, know, they were, they were pretty cool. They actually kind of gave me at first like Air Force vibes, which was interesting because he was, you know, getting out of their dragonfly plane thing. Yeah. But I was like, he's giving me like actual like modern day kind of Air Force vibes a little bit. A little bit. Um, Momoa, Jacqueline, and Bob, they all kind of saw him as, like, a medieval knight. Mm -hmm. And so they really looked at, like, paintings of, like, Templar knights from the period. Right. Because they wanted to give him that very honorable vibe and look to him, which really comes across through their design and his his acting. <laughs> Just grade A. Perfect. Brilliant. Grade A. <laughs> But Jason Momoa aside, things are about to get very sticky for House Atreides. So I, I think we need to take a little break. Yeah, things are about to get really heated. And I'm not talking about the war. I'm talking about Oscar Isaac. Um, so I think we need to take a little break. Take a break. Get some water. <laughs> cool yourself down for this next part. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we'll be right back. Are you ready to go collect some spice? Oh, you know it. <laughs> well, get on board my dragonfly plane, and we're going to go check on the spice traders. Okay. We're starting this segment. Duke Leto and Paul are joining the wonderful Dr. Liette Kynes, and they're going out into the desert to kind of get a scope of the land and figure out how well all their spice collecting technology is doing. And spoiler alert, it's not doing well. 
It's not doing well. Paul ends up having a spice-induced vision. It's just this this trip goes horribly wrong. Not to mention the giant uh, sandworm that basically eats everything. So yes, that little detail. That little detail. The worms are our friends, though. Don't forget that. I I kind of got that. I I was like, they might be cool. They might help us, but. They might not. This is the first time, though, we get to see a still suit, which is a, a big, big part of um, life on Arrakis, especially if you are a Fremen, which Dr. Liet Kynes, she is the royal ecologist on the planet, and she doesn't really talk about why she knows so much about Fremen culture and the planet of Arrakis, but I love her character she looks really good in her still suit and in the book this is one of the changes i'm like really happy they made this is a male character in the book oh oh i love that yeah sarah duncan brewster she was perfect for the role like she is dr leah kynes and i just love that they went with talent (laughs) over like a Like, when people get so upset about things not being exactly like in the book, it's like, no, it's about how best it's going to show on screen. And she was perfect for that role. Right. She was such a great character. And I love that she, like, she's wearing a still suit, but she still kind of, like, adds her own flair to it a little bit where she still has, like, the fabric over it. Yeah. It's just so good. They are very intricate. And that's going to be explained a little bit later on because... As soon as Duke Leto realizes they've kind of been screwed over by the Harkonnen in terms of what has been left to harvest the spice on Arrakis, um, the Harkonnen army and the Sadakar, um take over Arrakis by force. All hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. They murder Duke Leto. Jessica and Paul are on the run. Our dear Duncan Idaho is murdered. A lot of terrible things happen. (laughs) In a very small amount of time. (laughs) But I think the most terrible thing to happen was the killing of Duke Leto. I mean, that... (sighs) That that was wild. You know, we really haven't talked about Dr. Yui, played by um, Chen Chang. Uh, He's a much bigger character in the book, but he, like, totally betrays them. Right. I didn't see that coming. I was like, hey, come on, Mr. Doctor Man. And I I really wish they'd spent more time on his character, because in the books, it's explained that, um, because he's like a royal doctor um, given to them, and they are basically also, like, conditioned and brainwashed to never harm anybody. And the Harkonnens literally had to, like, break this mind control to force him to do this oh man that's messed up yeah it's messed up that's why he's like hey i'll give you i have to murder you but i will also give you the chance to murder the baron (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh leto was like this is kind of messed up but okay uh don't know why he's naked in this scene (laughs) can you describe the pictures that are on on the screen right now spencer has put naked pictures of oscar isaac (laughs) (laughs) from the movie on the screen (laughs) i just thought this was a very interesting scene and i thought we might want to talk about it Uh, 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know why he's naked. I don't remember him being naked in the book, but it's certainly it gives you something to look at. <laughs> yeah, I think this is my favorite costume of his. Um yeah, he killed this scene literally. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um no, oh but this gosh. entire scene though when they were in um I don't know, like I want to say their conference room. <laughs> <laughs> When the Baron was eating some food and Oscar Isaac was just sitting there butts naked, just like frozen and sweating. I was like, this is terrifying. I mean, it was uncomfortable. The Baron makes everything literally terrifying. Yeah. Most people would be really happy with a naked Oscar Isaac sitting there. But no, I just <laughs> wanted to scream. This is terrible. <laughs> it, it was terrible. Um, I, I loved I loved how they did the scene. It, it was great. But... Unfortunately, Duke Leto does not su- succeed in killing the Baron, and now Paul and Jennifer are in the run in their PJs. <laughs> her name is Jessica, not Jennifer, but like... Just, oh my gosh, I called her Jennifer? <laughs> same house of basic names, so... <laughs> Paul and Jessica are on the run in their pajamas. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Oh my gosh. I did like the scene where he used a sand compactor, made like a little like tent inside the sand. That was so cool. I was like, ooh, technology. Yeah. I like how they did this because this is where he has, he's like, he only, the, his like prophesized destiny almost becomes like a self fulfilling prophecy because he's like, there's no other way I'm gonna like, get my revenge (laughs) (laughs) i do love the costumes that um paul and jessica are wearing in the desert though it gives me a lot of it reminds me a lot of what jenny bevan did for mad max fury road i just love the aging and dying on these costumes it's so nice yeah it is nice it's really great um i definitely this is where i saw that like lawrence of arabia influence was when they were going through the desert in their pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they didn't give them any time. It was messed up. They did not give them any time, but the Baron doesn't care because they have Arrakis back and he is healing from the poison given to him by Duke Leto. But I just wanted to point out um, the the slave girls in this scene uh, Jacqueline West actually talks about them in her interview with the LA Times. She said the young slave girls are in this kind of flesh-toned, almost medical-looking ri- white rubber smock. That gives them the contrast of innocence and evil. And it's like, ooh, like, I would not have thought of that right off the bat, but it's like, oh yeah. And it, like, just makes you hate the Harkonnens, like, all that more. Right. I actually did kind of see that as to me they were just like very light um and just humble and you know like you could just tell that they were not there because they enjoyed it and it just felt like they're scared into like this submission and you felt so bad for them their costumes to me just said vulnerability and um but also still like futuristic like i did get like the rubber smock idea too like yeah you could definitely tell that they were like there for a medical reason almost so I love those costumes. They're very small, but I'm glad he brought them up because they were like really cool. Yeah, absolutely. They were they were cool. They mean a lot more than you think. But on Arrakis, Paul and Jessica have found the Fremen. Paul <laughs> duels his way into their society, and they are hopefully off to a second movie. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Um, we finally meet Zendaya's character. Finally. I was starting to wonder if she was going to be in this movie besides Visions. I know. I was like, like I was saying the first time I watched it, but that was before I realized there was going to be a second part. I'm like, where is Chaney? Where are they going with this? Like, what is happening? And then she shows up and she's like, I totally could have murdered you. Right. I love how we finally get to Zendaya and we're like, where is she? And we finally get to her and she's like, hey. (laughs) Yeah, literally. (laughs) You want my great aunt's knife? (laughs) (laughs) But they all look so good in like the individual still suits. I love I love it on each one, but it also looks like personal to each character, too. Exactly. And, um, you know, a lot of thought had to go into these, especially because going forward forward if there are more movies this is going to be one of the main costume pieces like because the fremen wear these constantly because water is so scarce like in in the book they'll probably show this if there's a second movie but it's like even after you die they take the water out of your body like they do not waste water so these suits are extremely important to the story yeah, we watched them recycling spit at one point, and I was like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> yeah, literally. And Bob Morgan talked about it with Entertainment Weekly. He said, we had to make this garment that would look good and believable on everybody, from Timothy to Rebecca to Jason Momoa. The range was amazing. Each one had to be custom made. Wow. And I wonder if they had to make duplicates of the custom-made still suits, too. Probably. Jeez. But that's so true, because it's like, you know, generally, for men and women in shows, even if it's, like, the same costume, it's like, oh, this is the feminine version, and then this is the masculine version. And it's like, no, each one of these is exactly the same in its design. Right. My favorites, personally, was Paul's. I liked how he had, like, the draping cape behind it i was like oh he looks like batman right now i love that suit (laughs) yeah jacqueline west talks about even just like the color with variety she says as frank herbert described the still suit was the color of rocks i had the head of locations bring me back rocks different vials of sand of different colors in jordan where we shot it the rock was this incredible color very kind of dusty black charcoal with some brown in it which it's like you had someone bring back rocks and dust from jordan like that is dedication um i love the gray color especially that looked really good on paul yeah what was the nose clip for i was waiting to ask you this oh gosh the nose clip i think it's i think it collects water as well or it might be like from like your breathing I'm I'm blanking. There's actually significance to them, like, in the book. I think it might also just help you breathe, like, in the sand. That totally true, also. I mean, I grew up in the desert, actually, so... I mean, not, not like Arrakis, <laughs> but, like... The high desert of California? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Mojave Desert is what it's called uh. sometimes. And, like, when those dust storms come through, I'll be having allergies for days have my inhaler with me at all times. Like, I get it. I I understand the nose clip and the still suit. (laughs) Yes. Makes a lot of practical sense. Uh, Not so practical is they did want each still suit to kind of be, like, unique to the character from either, like, the turbans on their head. They wanted, like, how each person wore them to say something about themselves. 
And then even uh, Bob Morgan talks about this in Entertainment Weekly. Um, there is some beading on some boots and other wonderful Easter eggs that give each character their own personal talisman, which I didn't notice. But like, I want to go back and watch it now to find them. Right. I didn't notice any of that. I mean, I knew that each one was kind of different to each character and unique, but I didn't notice any talismans. So I need to go back and watch. I was just so distracted by all the beauty that was happening that there was so much to look at in this movie. Yeah, there really was. And I, I love that detail because like even in the books, like they're very like your still suit is your life with the Fremen. So it's like they're very expensive. They're very like important. So it makes sense that they would be like a little bit personalized. It's like your car in on, on Arrakis. You could put stickers on it and everything. <laughs> you put stickers on it and everything. And I can't wait for the next film to st- see what kind of stickers Paul puts on his his still suit. Because we have come <laughs> to the end of the film. Oh, man, already? Already. Ugh. I, you know, I love this movie so much. I was happy to know that it's getting a part two because I, I had a feeling it was ending with that, like, last couple scenes. I was like, oh, we're going to wrap it up, I could tell. Yeah. And that makes me, it made me sad in the moment, but also, like, excited for the future. Like, this was a great movie. And even if it doesn't come next year or the year after that or the year after that, like, I have something to really look forward to. Yeah. I'm excited. I feel like it will get. I can't wait. Mon- I can't wait for Monday to see how well it did this weekend. Um, right. The theater I went to was like pretty full though, so I'm guessing it did well. Uh, it got at least one stream from me on <laughs> HBO Max. Full disclosure: It just came out literally two days ago at the time of recording this podcast. So yeah, at the time of recording this podcast, there will probably be more like more in- interviews and information. We don't have that. <laughs> It'll probably be greenlit by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so excited because I'm like, ooh, I can see, like, the runways are going to start having, like, gauzy, billowy dresses again. And, like... Oh, my gosh, right? I feel like this is really going to have a cultural impact. I hope it does. Who knows, though? It's already impacted my life. I mean, you and I are huge sci-fi fantasy nerds. Like, that's our thing when it comes to costume design. And, like, this was just giving me, like, that Fifth Element vibe where, like, the costumes just felt, like, these costumes felt different than other costumes we've seen before. You know, these were groundbreaking costumes. And it was, this was, like, up there with the, like, Bram Stoker Draculas and the Fifth Elements and the Cruellas. This was something special in terms of costuming and acting and visual. And like I said at the beginning, like the sound and the score, everything about this movie was something else. It was something else. It was brilliant. Round of applause for Bob Morgan and Jacqueline West. Right. I mean, this is going to be an Oscar nominee for costume design. Yeah. It's just like, damn. Like, <laughs> And might I say, it has a very good chance of jumping up to the top. When yeah. It's so funny when Cruella came out, we were all like, oh, Cruella's going to win. And now as we're getting closer, like, oh, we have Cruella. We have Dune. We're going to have the Spencer movie with Princess Diana. We're going to have we're gonna have House of Gucci. House of Gucci. We're going to have all these movies. The Oscars in 2022 are going to be hot, hot for costume design. They're, they're going to be insane. I, I can't wait. Can't wait to see. And just so you know, I don't know if you know this. 
but there is going to be a prequel television series heading to HBO Max soon. Oh, she does not know this. I'm giving her some. I did not know that. I'm giving her some details. It's going to be called Dune the Sisterhood, and it is going to be coming out on HBO Max. It's basically going to be set in the universe of Frank Herbert's epic Dune novel series, Dune. Um, it's told through the eyes of the mysterious order of women known as the Bene Gesserit. So there you go. So we're getting a whole, we're already getting a whole bunch of more stuff. So I, this is what I love about this whole new, like streaming thing. Like as overwhelming as it kind of is getting now with the possibility of like, Oh, new movies on there. Well, you can also see your new movie here and get this cool, like mini series background on it. Right. It has its pluses and minuses. Like I get like a lot of people are like, a little upset that Dune premiered on HBO Max, and I get that. I'm like, totally, I understand why you would want to see this in theaters. But then the positives to streaming also is like, now we're going to get a TV series, and that's going to be really cool, too. So I see both sides of it. I kind of see both sides of it. I don't understand when people get so upset about stuff releasing on streaming at the same time as like a theatrical release, because I'm like... If you want to see it in the theater, go see it in the theater. Right. There's going to be so many people now, though, who are just like, I don't know what to watch. HBO Max, Dune's right there. They're going to be like, I guess I'll watch this. This is new. People are talking about it. I think the problem comes down to, like, people getting paid. Like, we just saw that with Black Widow and Scarlett Johansson. And I know people are kind of saying the same thing about Dune. I think as long as everyone gets paid, it should premiere wherever they want to premiere. Yeah. As long as everyone gets paid from costume designers to, you know, photography from audio. If everyone gets paid, premiere it wherever you want. Yeah, exactly. And I, from what I understand, like WB has been pretty good about that. Because I, I believe Wonder Woman 1984, I think that got renegotiated once they decided to put it on hbo max so i i feel like hbo max is good about that um but it's definitely it's a time of change and i wish people would just embrace it and try and figure it out and not be angry about it well this was one of my favorite episodes you and i have done i had a good time i know this was fun this was fun i loved watching dune but elizabeth can i just tell you about what we're gonna watch next week Ooh tell me (laughs) we are taking a very very different turn from dramatic (laughs) from planet arrakis (laughs) we are beginning our holiday season we just finished spooky season we're now moving into the holiday season of the art of costume blogcast so we're going to be watching a few couple holiday related movies very excited this is elizabeth's season to shine christmas So we're going to be starting off our holiday season in Scranton, Pennsylvania, in a little paper company called (laughs) Dunder Mifflin. Um, So we're going to be watching The Office, and we're going to be watching Season 2, Episode 10, The Christmas Party, and Season 3, Episode 10 and 11, Benihana's Christmas. So we're basically watching the first two Christmas episodes, and we might have some special guests joining us. I don't know. Maybe. Everybody... I am so excited. Get pumped. We have a great Christmas lineup for you. And the office holiday episode is going to be very, very special. <laughs> so fun. Oh, I can't wait. 
I can't wait. I hope you all enjoyed listening. If you did, please give us a little five stars text review if you feel so inclined. Share us with your friends and family. Um, share us with your off-world friends if you have any of those. <laughs> we, we'll take anybody who will listen on any one of your favorite podcasting <laughs> streaming services. Hey, if you have some friends on Arrakis or someone named Paul or Jessica, like just share. Yeah, us. If you know a Paul or a Jessica, share it with them. <laughs> or even a Jennifer. We heard a Jennifer in there too. So <laughs> we hope you enjoyed and everybody have a wonderful week. The Art of Costume Blogcast is hosted by Elizabeth Joy Glass and Spencer Williams. Produced by Elizabeth Joy Glass with associate producer Spencer Williams. Our sound design and engineering is done by Daniel White. Follow us on Instagram at the Art of Costume Pod. Or visit theartofcostumeblogcast.com for all blogcast updates. For more costume reviews, deep dives, and interviews, visit theartofcostume.com. A blog dedicated to highlighting the best in costume design. Do not cut out the cat.